Our God has been so wild lately. He doesn't seem to listen. He doesn't obey my commands, and we can't even bribe him with treats. He's gotten so out of hand, he may even have to be put down. God is not the problem here. The problem is the people who want to be the leader of the pack. We reintroduce God. We retrain people. You're listening to The God Whispers. Hey, welcome to The God Whispers. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. And I'm Bill Swirla. And with us today is Wade E. Butler. What's the E stand for, Wade? Eric. Eric. Wade Eric Butler. Good Irish name. He, uh, Wade, where you, you were just installed yesterday. Yes. Or two days ago, With the rest actually. of the plumbing. And uh, tell, tell us about the name of your church and where it is. Christ Lutheran Church in uh, Canoga Park right now. Okay. Two congregations, Trinity in Reseda and Canoga Park Lutheran in Canoga Park, are merging together to make Christ Lutheran Church. Now, right now it's in Canoga Park because Reseda is going to sell their property. Now, ostensibly, Canoga Park is going to sell their property soon and then take the load of cash and start a new church in North Valley. Way so, more information like, than I was after. This that. sounds like some shady real estate <laughs> deal. I, I, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm already uncomfortable Wade, about the whole Wade thing. Wade Butler, I know that name from late night TV cable, yeah. don't I? Yeah. 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 Give, give on, occasion, on occasion. Get rich selling churches. <laughs> I got banned. Yeah, right. And rightly so. All right. If you want to <laughs> call us. Pesky AMA. Oh, wow. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to call us and leave a message, and uh, if you're lucky, oh, this is a high budget show, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, if you're lucky, we may actually <laughs> air money. it on the the program here. I can't get a word in edgewise. I, I got two narcissists <laughs> that I'm sitting with. Call us six two six five nine three seven seven one three. Our website is www.godwhisperers.com, and our email bill is godwhispers at gmail dot com. Gmail dot com. We're getting a lot of mail. It's pretty cool. We are. And and then, of course, if you're on the Wittenberg Trail, you have the thread that will not die. That's right, because I keep reviving it. <laughs> <laughs> well, what are we up to now in terms of posts on that thread? You know, uh, the other day, I think we were somewhere around 240. You know, I was thinking about the word thread, and, and it, it came to my mind that this, this that thread reminds me about, like, one of those big collections, these big balls of string you see somewhere in some farm in Nebraska or something, everybody flocks to see oh, it. Oh, the world's largest ball of string. Yeah, well, this yeah, is yeah. what it is. This is the world's largest. You should have seen the kite. <laughs> this is the world's largest internet thread, I think, at the moment. And, and, and it's just this collection of loose bits of string. Mostly just me doing viral marketing as best as I can. Well, yeah. No, <laughs> much, much, I think, to the admiration, if not envy, of Paul McCain over at CPH. Right, so. right. Uh, by the way uh we should give wittenberg trail a shout out because eric comstock has done a wonderful job over there it's wittenberg ning dot com, and uh if you sign up you should join the god whispers group because it's a heck of a lot of fun and it has the longest thread in the history of the wittenberg it trail does indeed it's it's just amazing we're, uh, we're i'm gonna get that thing up to a thousand I'm determined. Yeah, it, well, you're you're a fifth over a fifth of the way there right now, and <laughs> all you have to do is say something offensive again, and you can re you can reignite that thing. Just just I have to beautiful. I don't, I don't oh, know it, what it, I'm what I'm going to do yet, but it, it'll be fun. Well, so, we're we're recording actually from from some sleazy motel room in in <laughs> in Palm Palm Desert. Palm Desert. Uh, actually, not sleazy. Very nice. Uh, we're we're at the Pacific Southwest District Pastors Conference. Right, Domino's is out the do- is by the door, boys. We uh, <laughs> and, and we uh, 
we 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 thought we we were thinking of doing one of our ubiquitous live shows uh, from the floor of the pastors' conference itself, and then we thought the better of it. So so it may happen yet. It yeah that 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 option still exists. Wade but... Wade has a bottle of tequila, and if that thing has its way, you never know what might happen. <laughs> well, yeah. we 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 are also thinking of recording poolside later on this evening. So oh, I'd love you, to be there. That would you, actually you, be you, fun. You never know what will happen there. <clears throat> But uh, at the moment, we're just kind of holed up in Craig's room. Yes. And it's 175 degrees outside. It is. Un- uh, okay. You know what? The guys that are in charge of the Pacific Southwest District, I like them. They're nice guys. But they're out of their minds. Yeah, well, Having well, a conference in the middle of the desert in the middle of the summer. The is, tires is on my car melted on the way out here. It, it was just, it, it's just ridiculous. Well, I left all our gear out in the car overnight. This is true. And uh, we were wheeling it in, and it was so hot, we could barely even keep our hands on the cart to bring it in. Everything was just smoking hot. I was afraid I was going to open the metal box, and there's just going to be like a pool of solder at the bottom. And yeah, a I, was looking for my, I was looking for my asbestos mitts. <laughs> it did smell. Yeah, no, it, yeah, it still the, does. Something burned in there. We don't know what yet. but <laughs> It smelled sort of petroleum-like. But what, what we're going to be doing here is, is another one of these third microphone editions uh, with, uh, with Wade sitting in at the third microphone and... and uh, there's just a whole bunch of things that we could talk to you oh, about. Oh, good. And uh, we know you, and you could talk about a whole bunch of things. Endlessly. So, so that's part of the fun of it. I want to I kick it off with, with one of the projects that I'm most familiar with that you've done, is that, and that's Bible in an Hour. Yes, sir. And uh, why don't you explain a little bit of what that is and how it developed and uh, where you're going with it. Well, in 1982, I was teaching a Bible class while I was in seminary and a Baptist pastor at the same time. And one of my... Students ask, Pastor, how does the whole Bible fit together? And I didn't know. I did not know, to my shame. And I said, well, I'll know by next week. And I spent the next week reading the whole Bible. I spent the whole week reading it. And I read it like I would a piece of English literature. And I kept a notepad, and I drew charts, and Bible in an Hour was born. And it's a thematic overview of the Bible. It takes the themes of the Bible. I think a lot of people get bogged down in the Bible because, number one, they think it can be read straight through. And it can't, because it's not in chronological order. You know, you get through some of it, and it's really rocking, and then all of a sudden you hit the wisdom literature, and it kind of takes a dive. And then you hit the prophets, and you don't know where you are. And then you give up and just go to the Gospels, and they're out of order. So, you know, it's a complete confusion. And not to mention Paul. You know, you get to Paul, and it's longest to shortest, and you're just, your head is spinning. And then you hit Revelation and turn Baptist. So, uh, <clears throat> you know, so you just give up and become no, a dispensational. No, it's Revelations. Oh, Revelations, yes, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Shuns. And yes. then you turn dispensational. So I, I decided I was going to figure this out, and I did. I did. I'm very proud of it. It's been on the market since 1982. So, uh, Bible in an hour. It's we're, it, not we're, doing well. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been out there since it's when, been the, out there. 1982. I'm going to be one of those stories you hear about persistence. Now, it, it's, it's, it's four charts yes. that, that visually kind of summarize various thematic things from the Old and the New Testament. Right. As I recall, three Old Testament, one New Testament. Well, the first chart is the whole Bible. Overview. That's the right. second two are the Old Testament, and the last is the New Right, and and then also then the the product is actually a recorded narrative of which you are the voice. Yes, so you are mm-hmm. both the author and voice Correct. of Bible in an hour, mm-hmm. and uh, we've we've actually heard it at our own congregation. You did a you you did kind of a live version. And that's of much it. better live presentation. And uh, yeah, it is. It's it's very very good. So, uh, 
what is the what is the, the 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 core theme then of the Bible from Genesis to the Revelation? Okay, <laughs> well, it's very simple, really. The Bible can be, in my opinion, and according to Bible and Hour, reduced to three promises, three covenants, and one sentence. And if you learn those three things, you can understand the Bible. Three completely. promises, three, three covenants, covenants, and one sentence. And one sentence. So mm-hmm. the three promises are to Abraham. I will make you a great nation. I will give you the land upon which you are walking, and I will bless the world through one of your seed. And I follow St. Paul, not seeds, but seed, namely right. Christ. And then the three covenants, the patron covenant, where God gives something for nothing, the parity covenant, where two people exchange, kind of like our own uh, contractual system. Quid pro quo. Exactly. Kind of, yeah. And then the uh, suzerainty covenant, which is God requiring something of me. So the Ten Commandments are suzerainty, for instance. Uh, there is no parity covenant between us and God, because we can't possibly do Of course, the Baptists think there is, and so do the Pentecostals, but we don't. And then the patron covenant is uh, God giving us something for nothing, which, of course, is the gospel. So the suzerainty is law, the patron is gospel, and the middle road is Elka. <laughs> Now, 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 I noticed... You, you caught me off, off balance I, on that one. Yeah. I, was, I noticed... <laughs> you guys were looking bored. I'm going to call up and leave a message. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed that, that when, um, when God chooses Abraham, calls him out of Ur of the Chaldees, makes all these promises, Abraham really hasn't done a darn thing. Nothing. And when he was on the side of the covenant cutting... He was put in a deep sleep, so he could do even further nothing. So he was dead to the whole thing. He was really. dead to the whole thing. That's beautiful. Dead in trespasses, yeah. And God passed between the pieces uh, of those cut-up animals. It was a blood covenant, of course, and said, I swear by myself. Now, many people think that means I swear by me. I mean, who's bigger than me? No, I swear alone. No one's helping me. No one's going to do anything for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do this by myself. So the, the seed of Abraham, uh, is that tied back then to the, the, the seed of the woman in exactly. Genesis 3.15? Exactly. So the whole seed theology just starts there, and, and right. you're just kind of chasing the seed through the Old Testament. Exactly then. right. And well, so the sentence is, uh, from, Abra- from the promises to Abraham, the rest of the Bible is the story of one man's family and how God kept his promises to that one man. Well, now you don't have to buy it. There you, you just, go. You I gave it away. It that, was, that was Bible in about uh, three minutes. Yeah, I could do it in three minutes. But in Bible in an hour, <laughs> I put all the books of the Bible in order, too, so you don't get lost. It really is a good program. I've used it in my, uh, in my parishes. Uh, by the way, if you want to get this, you can go to newreformationpress.com, and I believe it's there for MP3 download as well right. as you can buy the CD. And, and PDFs, yeah. And all that good stuff. So... Uh, NewReformationPress.com, that's one of our sponsors and uh, our friends as well. And you can also find it at www.BibleInAnHour.com, which will immediately take you to New Reformation Press. <laughs> Somehow it's all linked together in a conspiratorial sort yes, of way. Yes, it is. We're trying our best to get the gospel out there. Three, three promises, three covenants. And one sentence. And the sentence is? From Genesis 13, 12, 13 on, the rest of the Bible is the story of one man's family, ah. na- na- namely Abraham. And how God kept his promises to that one man. And so, when Jesus sat at the Last Supper and took up the bread, he said, Take, eat, this is my body, broken for you, for the, you know, the, his body of the new covenant. And he tore it in two, of course, which he would have with a big piece of bread, and passed it on each side. And hence, he was passing between the pieces of himself. Hmm. So, when he did, when he passed between the pieces of himself, he established a new covenant. I'm convinced that... 
people make a grave error when they think that uh, the Sinaitic covenant is the old covenant that Jesus' covenant replaced. It's not true. It's Abraham's. Mm -hmm. Because he was the fulfillment of that. And when he said, it is finished, tetelestai, the debt has been paid on the cross, it was paid to Abraham. The debt was paid to Abraham. So what's the purpose then of Sinai and and that covenant? Because of sin. Because, well, too... I think that God was establishing his own personal covenant with his people on Sinai and wanted to make them an example because he had to keep them safe, he had to keep them healthy so that he could bring forth the seed. Well, they're kind of the incubator of the seed. Correct. And I think that's why circumcision is important. It was important then because the girls could tell who they were dealing with. Because in the rest of the world, there was no circumcision. So they would know if they had a Jew young man or not. And so the seed was protected even in that act. That is a distinctive enough mark where it's not an accident. Correct. Yeah. You know, no one gets that marred. But the marring has to do with the seed. It, so, directly. So, so the sign is put at the procreation point. The Correct. Seed, the seed point. To remind everyone. Which makes a lot of, that, that makes a lot of sense. Can you imagine Abraham, the look on Abraham's face at, what, 99 when God says, oh, by the way, <laughs> so you don't forget what I just promised you? Mm-hmm. You know, go for the foreskin snip of your... <laughs> well, never mind. Uh, let's 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 work out another deal here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You would you would want to rethink it. Is you? there a better God around here? Can I, <laughs> yeah. can I find a new one? <laughs> yeah, we train a new one. Maybe put it down. But you know, it's amazing that Jesus, even though even though he had no need to be marked, he was anyway. And so the first holy blood that was ever shed in the temple was his at his circumcision. And Jesus also took the mark of baptism that he yes. didn't need as well. Which, Correct. Which corresponds to circumcision, which is really exciting because uh, it's a lot less painful. Yeah, well, it's not less painful to the old man, but it's true that uh, when Jesus got in the water, I believe he washed the sins out of it. He had no sins to wash off, so he washed the sins out of the water and sanctified water forever for our baptism. So I've become absolutely convinced that God has decided to work with us through means, and those means are ubiquitous. Words, water, and food. And you can't miss it. How can you miss it? You know, it's like Isaiah said, a fool shall not err therein. How can you? The preached word, the eaten food, and the water. It can't get any simpler. So I'm really proud of uh, Bible and Hour. I've had people write me, hundreds and hundreds of people have written me emails and, and said things like I got converted. There was, the, the most exceptional case was a fellow out here in California who said, I bought a car from a guy, and I found your CD in the glove box. (laughs) (laughs) Which, of course, you would find it there. It's probably been there since 1982. Yeah, since he bought it. Yeah, right. And threw it in the glove box. But he said, I listened to it, and I became a Christian. Wow. So Hmm. that was the most remarkable case I recall. Did you ask him to send you the 1999 that he would have paid otherwise? No, no, no. (laughs) You know, I I gave more away than I've sold. I've given given it away. Yeah, it works that way. When I heard that presentation, it, 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 it made clear the book of Ruth. There, there, there are a couple of books in, in when, you go, when you're going through the Bible, you know, and, and, and you hit the book of Ruth, you think, oh, nice story. Love story, mother-in-law, daughter-in-law. The seed you're, was hanging by a thread. Yeah, yeah. And, and you don't really know what this is about. You know, will she find a husband? Uh, maybe yes, maybe no. Oh, another, another near relative could be hers. And, and, and this is kind of one of these boy meets girl kind of things. Until you get to the very last verses of that book, and it traces the genealogy of their son to David. To David. And then you recognize it's all about the seed, isn't right. it? And, and, and it's hanging by a thread here because you got this, this widowed Moabite. Oh, that was the, that was the thinnest thread possible. Yeah. That's why Ruth is in there. Yeah. 
but but you have this this widowed Moabite and and some and and it has all this notion of it just so happened, it just so happened they went back to Bethlehem, mm-hmm. and it just so happened there was right. a kinsman redeemer who's got a lot of land and they're gleaning on his field, yeah, and it just so happened and all these things being arranged. But you don't even you don't have you have no clue why this just so happened until you, you realize that's the great grandmother David, right? And she became the bearer of the seed when it was very thin. And so some people say that Ruth is prototypical of Mary because mm. of that. Oh, that's an interesting thought. And there's also a parody covenant in Ruth where they actually trade something. Define a parody covenant. covenant. Where I agree to do something and you agree to do something and we exchange something of each other's so that if you default, I can show up. Well, let's say that we made a deal and we traded shoes. Okay. I can show up at your house if you default and say, look, here I have your shoe. So the article becomes a testimony of our deal. It's not quite like collateral. But it's no. It's more it's, like uh, it's a, a sign honor. that yeah, honor. It's, it's an it's, honor. It's thing. what we do with contracts. You hold up your end, and I hold up my end. Now, what is it in in Ruth? You mentioned. You know, it. honestly, I don't recall. But oh. it, it is in there. It's just <laughs> it's <laughs> hanging by a thread, really. Yeah. At, at you know what? Point. If it's not in there, it is now. <laughs> this sounds like one of my Bible classes, Pastor. Why is this? I don't know. Is, well, you know, we join the uh, the lofty apostles in that because they always somewhere it is written. Yeah, I, I, you know, the Hebrew. I love the Book of Hebrews for that because because he doesn't. It's written somewhere, and so like, man, I wish I could get away with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you have to admire that. But yeah, I'm been, I've been very proud of Bible in an hour. I, I don't know why it hasn't skyrocketed. Uh, maybe because it doesn't say Tyndale, or maybe because it doesn't say Zondervan. However, I've never sent it to Tyndale or Zondervan. Well, it, it doesn't promise to enlarge your boundaries either, so that could that, exactly. that, that might, that might well, put Jabez, a damper on Well, Jabez was not on my side, although I did buy the prayer of Jabez, and I prayed it sincerely for Bible in an hour, and it flopped. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> So I, I almost sued the guy. You know, that's false advertising. You know, I, I had to deal with the pesky AMA, and, and he needs to also. You, well, the, the problem is that you didn't have enough faith. That's you, right. You weren't, you weren't praying sincerely enough. Well, I thought I was, uh, but then that's the fault of that sort of theology, isn't it? it uh, you know, you're, exactly. it's now you're shocked. You think you're saved, but now you're not. I had an aunt like that who was a Calvinist. She was a hard-shell Baptist down in Kentucky, and it doesn't get any harder than that. <laughs> and she would say, I think I'm saved. And she meant it. She said, I think I'm saved. She never did have any sort of assurance. What does the hard shell refer to in hard shell Baptist? Uh, That they refuse to give in any point of Calvinism. That they are hard shell. Oh, okay, okay. So, so they're diehard Calvinists. Diehard. My aunt was diehard. Tulip is. I mean, is that? that, Oh, she had a whole whole basin full of tulips. (laughs) She was the tulip, and she used to say, "Wade, honey, I'm not afraid to die. I'm not. uh, Your aunt is ready to go. I'm ready to go right now to see the Lord." And I said, "Oh, really? Uh Well, then later on, she said, "You know, sweetie, I thought I was ready to go, but I went fishing (laughs) with your uncle." Uncle Odd and Aunt Ethel, oh, they were a real piece of work. You know, it, I, I think they met at a family reunion. I do, really. And they were kind of ingrown. And uh, I come straight from their stock, of course. I'm condemning myself. But um, she said, honey, I fell out of the boat, and I can't swim. And I started drowning. And your uncle put an oar out and saved me. And she got in the boat, and she said, the first thing I said was, well, I wasn't, a, I wasn't as ready to go as I thought I was. <laughs> <laughs> nice to put that to the test exactly. once in a while. Huh? Well, you know, when you come up onto the... The chilly shore of Jordan, it's a, it's a frightening deal. Now, what, what would you tell people who are, are approaching the Bible for the first time? You know, maybe they know, they know bits and pieces of it, maybe memorized a few passages in there, but, but they want to they do what you described, and that is they want to sit down and read it and, and, and glean the big picture from it. What, what would you recommend for that? Well, first of all, I would recommend that they forgive us for poisoning them. I think that the 
the way we've preached the Bible, the way we have taught the Bible, and I mean we as the whole Christian milieu, kind of like the Noahic milieu, we have really turned people off. We have. We've turned people off against the Bible. I mean, you get enough preachers on TV and people don't want to hear about the Bible. The minute you say Bible, they, they start to freeze. They start to petrify. Their eyes glaze over. Their ears become stopped because they don't want to hear it. Who would? You know, yeah. who, if, if I wasn't a Christian and I saw that baloney, and especially this uh, Joel Osteen crackpot, you know, I wouldn't want to listen to it either. I've often said that the church's biggest enemy is the church. We, we, we do it to ourselves a lot. We have hypocrites in places of honor. Of course, we're all hypocrites, but we have the, the biggest ones, the scariest Some ones. Some of us are better actors than others. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but, you know, th- there, there are these guys who are claiming to be Christians that never teach about Christ, but they sure do teach a lot of morality. They teach a lot of, you need to do this and you need to do that. But they're not really teaching Christianity, but they're representing Christianity to the rest of the world. People come into our churches, if they come at all, and they say, I already tried Christianity, and, and right. I don't know, you know, it, that didn't work for me. Well, we have devolved to the point, brothers, that now the church is so sullied yeah. against orthodoxy that when we preach orthodoxy, it sounds like heterodoxy. And people will look right at you and say, I've never heard that before, and I've said, I believe you. Yeah. You know, so so back, back to your hypothetical reader. I would and, say, please forgive us. And then I would say, please go to www.bibleinhour.com and get Bible in chronological order. It's free. You can have it. Because I spent many, many months working that out. And I have it down to the verse. Hmm. I left a few verses off of Ezekiel because I don't think they belong there. So I just left them out. All you, you what? <laughs> He revised Ezekiel. I'm, I'm going to start picking it up now. Yeah, just just the last few verses. Yeah, all right. <laughs> the oldest book I'm told is Job. That's yes. that's what I was taught in my Job yeah. class. Yeah, I think it, I think that's correct. In and, terms of language, what what do you say? Well, I mean, not in terms of content. I no, mean, Gen- Genesis, Genesis starts in the beginning, right? But Job is old. Jo- Job older seems than, to be older literature than the Torah. Right, yeah. right. Probably the first written book. So, in the how Bible. reordered is it? You know, the, uh, our version of the Old Testament, though it's not the same as the Hebrew. Oh my! Yeah, I, I take what we have. I didn't even delve into the to the Hebrew. So you, you you basically work with the English text. Yes. And yes. and then how reshuffled is it? What's what's oh, your first my book? Goodness. Well, many of the Psalms go back in Kings and Chronicles. Oh, okay. so you dropped them back? Yes. Into, oh, yes. Okay. There's going to be some assumptions made there. I made lots of them. Okay. Uh, I took the I took the real conservative view of where they belong. You know, I took the accepted view. I, you know, I don't try to get all higher critical or anything, and, because I think it's very important for the people to see that it, it does go in order. You know, we have it grouped according to the type of literature instead of the chronology. That's not fair. Whoever thought of that? Why did they do that? Well, but but didn't didn't the books a lot of these books come as as integral whole, so that you have like for example you have first and second kings you have first and second chronicles, they're basically the same material, though written considerably right. apart, slightly different perspective. One's kind of looking back on the thing. One's one's a little bit more contemporary. Well, that's that's coming into the micro view of it. But from Genesis to the Psalms, what do you have really? What do you have, gentlemen? You have narrative. And then you have wisdom literature, which belongs back in the narrative. And then you have the prophets all grouped together, and they all belong back in the narrative. So it's a real experience. Same thing with the book of Acts. Uh, The book of Acts houses all the epistles. 
Or at least most of them, I right, suppose. Right, right. Of course, there's some that are, yeah. are post-X. But the ones that are within X, you have to plug them back in. And yes, you make a lot of assumptions. Right. Actually, that, that gives you a good background for the epistles, then. They're, they're not mm-hmm. just popping it up, as you, you say, in order of size. Right. Because you get very messed up when you do that. When Colossians and Ephesians are pulled apart, you really get messed up. Yeah. You're right. And so I have something called Paul in an Hour, which hasn't been produced yet, where I take the letters of Paul and I put them back in the Acts account. Now, I, I did, uh, at Higher Things, I did the 180-minute Bible. I wasn't so uh, so ambitious as to try to do it in an hour. I did it in three hours because I had, at least I thought I had three hours to work with. Then I found out that my sessions were 45 minutes, so it, it got reduced to the 135-minute Bible. I was going to give out prizes if I didn't make it at 180 minutes, but at 135, all, all bets were off. Yeah, but, yeah they, they cheated you there. But it was it was fun because because you're forced to look at the really big picture narratives right. and and just and we touched on every book that we did it i did it pretty much in canonical order mm-hmm. and just sort of showed where they fit in right and and you know how it all comes together and stuff like that mm-hmm. so yeah, a, mo- a moment of silence while I, somebody walks well, into the room <laughs> hey we had dead and air past, dead pastor jason everybody turned around and then but there he is, and, and he's, he looks like he's been in the pool. And then D'Onofrio gives some ambiguous signal. I don't know what you were signaling there. <laughs> what, what, in, in, in diver talk, that means something completely different. So What does that mean? <laughs> oh, no, that's okay. Well, yeah, no, this, that's another <laughs> signal entirely. So that cr- chronological order thing is important, I think, for people to get the picture that they can actually make sense of the Bible for themselves. Because otherwise you're lost. I remember the first time I read the Bible, and I got to the begats, and I fell off the wagon. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was gone. Numbers yeah. is, is a sure cure for insomnia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Except for the lifting up in the wilderness. and There's a few high spots, but yeah. then it takes a dive. Yeah. How about the New Testament in terms of uh, when, when you start to unpack it in the same way? Because the Old Testament, that's really the, that's the record of that promised seed right. carried to its delivery. Delivery. In the fullness of time. And the Gospels are the uh, four different accounts of the delivery. I just leave it at that. I don't try to order the Gospels in mm-hmm. any way. And then I take the Book of Acts, which is the, uh, the uh, worldwide dissemination of the news about the seed, and then the how to live under this new covenant, which are the uh, epistles, and I put them back in the Book of Acts. And the Revelation? It's dangling. It's, da- <laughs> it's, it's dangling out there, yeah. I, no one knows what to do with that. I love the book. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I actually think that it, it is the bookend of Genesis. Every, everything that's opened in Genesis is closed. In fact, I was talking to some guy today, and, and we, we, we did a sort of a tsunami theme, a, a water theme. It's, it, it starts in water in Genesis 1-2, to home, the deep, you know, the spirit hovering over the deep. So it, it, starts, it all starts with water and spirit, mm-hmm. and it ends with the river of the water of life flowing from the Father and the Son, the throne and the Lamb, down the middle of the street, tree of life. It's just, it's all back there. It's bookended. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good to me. In, I'll, I'll, in, add, I'll shamelessly add that. In endless day, <laughs> in the endless day, that, that, that great day that has no evening or morning, just, just day. So you're signaling again. What, what do you want to say about that? I'm, I'm doing something that you hate. <laughs> What's you, that? You're, you're going nuts here. I'm, I'm signaling that we're almost out of time for this segment. All right. Oh, That's pretty sad. It is sad. I know. You know, I'm, I'm over here making hand gestures as to how much time we have left, and Bozo <laughs> next to me knows exactly what I'm doing. But I saw those gestures, and I'm used to them a, from my congregation. He's got to be yeah, a knucklehead <laughs> over here. <laughs> but they mean something completely different. Perhaps. Perhaps. I've well, never interpreted them. Hey, guess what? We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the God Whispers. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. I'm Bill Swirlo. And who are you? Wade Butler. We got Wade Butler with Welcome, us. Welcome, Wade. Thank you. Wade is a wacky, zany kind of guy. And we're having a, a really good time. You can check us out on the internet at www.godwhisperers.com. All sorts of good information there. And old programs and podcasts and all that kind of stuff. When we left off, we were finishing up with Bible in an Hour. And uh, we pretty much killed that beast. Uh, Wade, you, you have written yet another book, though. Yes. Actually, I wrote another book called Countdown of Days. And it's about a man who discovers that he's terminally ill and he has 12 days to live. And so he writes 12 distinct letters to his estranged son. Hmm. And it's a cross-generational book so that people who... Uh, are facing their own mortality and maybe have less than great relationships with their children, especially father and son, could discover their own themes within these letters. Hmm. And within the 12 letters, you'll just see about every way that a father and son could interact and how this father and son found it to be dysfunctional. Yeah, these kind of scenarios always make you ponder. That's that's really uh, a wonderful scenario. That I think of the movie The Bucket List, where Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman are both dying of cancer, and they, they have to, uh, th- well, they basically think up of things that they want to do before they die. And it makes you think, you know, when, when you see a movie like that, what would I do? And so it sounds like your book is kind of designed to make people ponder their own mortality and, and what would they want to say to their loved ones. Yeah, and especially uh, father and son. There's not a lot of masculine literature out there. Unfortunately. Uh, there's not a lot of father and son interrelatedness. You know, we've been dominated by uh, femality in this yeah. culture, and it's, you know, it seems to be accelerating so that uh, men are becoming emasculated. And you know, it's no wonder that fathers and sons can't relate because uh, they don't know what sex they are. You know, but as, you know, it, so when we look at these letters, uh, you'll see that the father is saying, look, I, it's, it's, it was my fault. I did a lot of things wrong, son. And so it's the admission of one generation to another, too. But there's a twist in the book, and uh, since Bantam wouldn't give me the money I wanted, it's not published, so I can give away the end. Uh, <laughs> this is a plot alert coming here. Yes, plot alert, plot <laughs> alert. Uh, in the final chapter, you discover the mother taking these 12 letters to the grave of her son. Mm. He died not knowing that his father had sent these letters. He never got to read them. And so she puts them in the grave of her son and says, you know, there you are. And so she is the one that was truly the dysfunctional figure. Wow. And and caused a real rift between the father and the son, and she admits it in the end. Hmm. Wow. What are, do you have, um, obviously when you're dealing with father-son themes, there's going to be an undertow of theology always. Yes, of course. And and what's... um, is there any sort of theological kind of undercurrent in this that that you you're you know, that you were aware of when you were writing it, or is it strictly at that level of father and son? It was strictly on that because I have uh, a personal note here, personal note, plot alert. I have a rather dysfunctional relationship with my own father. Uh, I've dealt with divorce in my family. I was uh, you know I, I was really subjected to a dysfunctional father son relationship. However, I had a great one with my grandfather. And so as I wrote this book, I was thinking, I guess I was thinking what I wish my father had said to me, you know, to restore our relationship. Mm. Now, my father is still living, and so he still has a chance to make up for it and write these letters. Maybe I should send him a copy. I was going to say, has he read read the book? (laughs) No, my dad doesn't read. That's one of our difficulties. (laughs) That's a sad book. Yeah, it's totally sad. But in, in this particular book, if I was going to look at it theologically, where God the Father does not fail us, 
we tend as fathers, if we're not careful and if we don't pay strict attention to our sons especially, who look for us for role models, we can fail where God is not. And so that book is about that. Uh, Countdown of Days. It's a real tearjerker. It's a, it's a moving book, I think. Yeah, I had the uh, privilege of reading it as manuscript. And I recall it was, it was many years ago now, but you were sitting on our patio. Correct. And uh, doing kind of an author reading, an impromptu author yes. reading. And it is a very, very moving, emotional book. At a at, at sort of a at a masculine level. Yes, it's you know, not it's not at all. Uh, the women were were sort of huddled around, or, or the, you know, the women were listening and they're kind of checking in and checking out. But the guys were absolutely silent, and you you could see they're just kind of looking down. You know, or right. there's, there's this whole kind of this whole sort of uh, uh, just mood or tone to to the 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 thing. And I experienced the same thing reading it too. It it is it is um, it's very much in in that rare realm of truly masculine literature. And and I really hope it gets published at Me some too. level. Me because, too. Uh, I had a contract with Bantam, and they changed the terms, and I refused to budge. And they said keep it, and I said okay. And so mm-hmm. I haven't done anything with it. Since. Any 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 thought of maybe self-publishing in this day of self-publishing, or yeah, you don't want to go there? Perhaps, perhaps. I mean, I had Bantam on the line. If I submit it again to other people, I'll get somewhere. Mm. I just haven't gotten around to it. And I think I would rework some of it. Some of the uh, wording I would probably rework. But the theme itself and the the twist at the end with the mother being the dysfunctional figure, I think I would keep that. Yeah. yeah. No, I wouldn't. I'd encourage you to to find a place where that can get into the hands of fathers and sons. Yeah, I agree. Uh, my uh, son read it. Did he? Yes. He what, did. what did he think of it? Well, when he quit crying, he said, "Dad, <laughs> nice. I'm glad. I'm glad we don't have any of this. However, you did make some mistakes." And I said, "Yes, son, I know." <laughs> so, and we had a bit of a, um, a reconciliation with faults I didn't even know had occurred. Yeah. yeah. Because of the book, I think about when my father was dying. He died of cancer over a period of about five years, and uh, when he first got cancer, we we were kind of at war, and as all of this developed uh, in a very short time. Our differences didn't mean anything anymore. Th- those were silly and stupid, and we both recognize that. But over that period of time, there was a lot of talk and a lot of healing and a lot of coming back together. And I think he finally recognized me as a man, not as his youngest son. Right. And uh, almost, you know, th- there was that letting go with a dead hand and yet... Uh, just this reconciliation that occurred. And I, I think that that's terribly important. I, I think too few guys get to have that kind of an experience. I count myself very blessed for that. Yeah, that sounds like it would be a, a wonderful experience. Uh, <clears throat> many times, I think, in our particular culture, males have a much more difficult time with mortality. And so when we are confronted with our mortality, we're, we're still on overdrive. Because no matter what is said, males are expected to achieve, and we're expected to provide. And so we sort of get an overdrive going so that we don't fail. And when the doctor comes along and says, hello, you're mortal, there comes that moment when we have to pass on to the next generation. We Mm -hmm. have to let go. We have to say, it's yours. We have to be able to look at our progeny and say, okay. And that's a difficult process. I remember one conversation with my dad about, um, and it was just I, maybe no more than ten years ago or so, where we we acknowledged I acknowledged that he'd grown a lot smarter than uh, when I was eighteen and knew it all. Because I don't know how it happened, but all of a sudden the man got really intelligent. Right. And and we 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 talked about some of our arguments and conflicts. But but the coolest thing was my my dad. Uh, you know, we we talked about some of the arguments that we had over the length of my hair and and some of the other things that I was doing. And he said, you know. 
I don't know what all of that was about. He says, you know, that was really dumb on my part. <laughs> and I thought that was just the coolest moment. You know, it's like it's a baton what, passing. What were we doing? And and what there, there was thinking? there was a real sense of 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 that baton passing mm-hmm. there. And and I've seen I see that in parishioners too. When a parent dies, especially when father dies, there's a real sense of you being handed the baton. Yes, and you're running the race at the lead of the pack now. You know, you're you're right. you're the lead runner now. My dad compared it to that game in these uh, arcades where the scooper pushes nickels off into the trough, mm-hmm. and it keeps pushing nickels off. And so when my grandfather died, he looked at me and said, well, I'm next. <laughs> and he compared it to the nickel machine. And, and that's really true. We, but we have no, in our culture, we really don't have any uh, pubescent rituals. No. We're, so we're, that's for sure. really short on, on rites of passage. Right. We don't have any. The closest that we have these days, it seems, is confirmation. Some sort of rite of passage that way. Well, right. you know, the scary thing is the, the gangs provide them. Yes, they, they do. understand yeah. that. They understand yeah. that you need a rite of passage, and they're more than happy to provide one. We don't have any pubescent rituals that fathers and sons share in group. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in many other cultures, they have the group of fathers get together and put their sons through living hell, and then say, "Oh, to die, you're now a man," and they accept them into the group as a male. What's well, amazing heard... is, is there's a wounding, a death, and a resurrection Correct. that occurs in these things. I, right. I've and heard that they died a childhood. Rise to adult. That part of that ritual, too, is that the, the men of the community, and I, this is in these tribal exercises, but the, the men of the community gather outside the house, and they call the boy out, and he's got to turn his back on his mother and oh, walk out of the yeah, house. Yeah. And she's weeping and wailing. You know, her boy's not a boy anymore, and she's lost her boy. But it's like you got to get away from mama and join the men right. now. I, that's, I, not popu- that's not popular in our culture. No. I, I think of the book Iron John uh, on a lot of this. Robert Bly talks about this, that uh, in certain tribes, the men call out the, the sons, and the mothers put up a good show. No, don't take my boy. No, no, don't take him. Don't take him. And then the men carry off the son, and the women go and have tea together. That's right. Yeah. The, the strong women, the, the, the strong, real women rejoice in this. Yeah. Another man has come, come into the community now. You're right. My mother certainly rejoiced when I went to college. Yeah. Now, she was rejoicing when I Oh, went gosh. Well, now, I stayed at home during college, but when I left for graduate school, I think I, the car cleared the driveway before my room was remodeled and my brother took over. And that, that was, there was no safety net, baby. That was it. it was, so you, you heard the pop of the cork of the champagne. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Great was the celebration, I'm telling you. But mom always prepared us for that. She, she's a German mother, you know, and she said, you know, it's like raising the birds. Sometimes they don't want to leave the nest. So you have to kick them out. You give them a kick. Yeah. <laughs> and we were prepared for the big boot. You know, it was going to happen. You knew it. So well, That's the amazing thing is women tend to coddle. And the father's job is to firmly plant one foot on the boy's butt and shove him out the door. <laughs> well, and there's, there's that tension that's always going on. You know, mom's pulling and dad's pushing. I think that that's exactly why adolescence lasts till 30 now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. At least. Because mom gets her way. Well, there's no father. Yeah. There's no dam against the, 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 the onslaught. You know, there's no pubescent ritual. There, there's so many absent fathers who don't pass anything on. And so the poor blokes just hang around saying, what do I do next? And when they get done with drugs and, and oversexing themselves and uh, wind up HIV positive, then they turn around and say, now what? Mm-hmm. We got onto this topic just Sunday in my Bible class that kids are coming back after grad school now, moving back in. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the early days of our country, you know, 250 years ago, 14-year-old boys were captains of ships. We we grew up much. Of course, we didn't live nearly as long either. But there, you you didn't have to be an old man to have authority. You just had to be competent. Yeah, 
And competency came much earlier and maturity came much earlier. Well, I think one thing that's lacking, the, the term that I use is apprenticing. Yeah. You know, how do you, how do you learn a trade? You, you don't read books. You don't watch videos. You watch and do, see and do. You, you stand next to the, mm-hmm. the master, and, and like woodworking. You sweep floors, and you hang out, and you watch the guy do his thing. And, uh, and I don't think we're apprenticing, especially the, the, you know, as, as you're going through puberty. We're not, we're not apprenticing the kids into adulthood. No. It's, it's just this arrested development somewhere around 16. And then you've got to figure it out for yourself. It's very sad. I mean, I, it, it's very tragic. Now, I left home in 1974, and I think we were on, I was on the last wash of that particular generation because there was no option for me to come back to the net. Mm-hmm. When I left for college, it was goodbye. I was in your same spot. Yeah, no safety you know, net, no, no safety way back. Net. My room was remodeled, <laughs> you know, the whole thing, and it, it, for rent sign out front. Mm-hmm. You know, happy days are here again. I, really, I think my mom rejoiced. So now that's not the case, and so... We have these counselors and these fuzzy coddlers who want to say, oh, well, things have changed. We have a longer adolescence. No, I think that's just a bunch of bull. I think what we have done is we have coddled our males to the point that they have become feminine. And it's too bad because now the gender lines are blurred. It seems like everybody's turning homosexual. And we, we want to say, why? You know, the whole world's gone gay. Have you noticed that? Yeah. I mean, you know, you, when, I was, when I was younger, there wasn't a bunch of gays everywhere. I mean, if you were gay, you kept your mouth shut about it and stayed in the locker. You know, you didn't come out in the locker room. But now, oh, boy, there's gays everywhere. Why? I'll tell you. It's because we have lost the gender lines. Yeah. Well, one of the other things that's very... Now, I, you're going to get email on that one, brother. Send it to me. Pastor <laughs> we, at We Christ didn't Luther say Day. it. You did. <laughs> you're just on the third microphone. Well, so. I, I'm going to carry this on just a little bit more. John Taylor Gatto writes about a lot of this. I don't know if you're familiar with him or no, not. He's the education he, guy, right? Yeah, he's yeah. He, he was educator of the year for I New, think New the York city, city or state of New York, New York. for a couple of years running. And and Gatto kind of gives a history of education and he points out that men were forced out of education that the majority especially of elementary school teachers are women and that was by design. And so our boys don't have a masculine figure Dad walked out, mom's at home with a kid, you know, and she's working 12 hours a day. And then and then they go to school and they're surrounded by women all day. So all that they're getting is the women's influence. We've been feminized. I had the opportunity recently to speak with a bishop in the Episcopal Church. And actually, I'm friends with the man, but I don't want to say his name. And he started telling me the woes of the Episcopal Church. And he said that he's got nothing against women. He's got nothing against women being priests, et cetera, et cetera, that there shouldn't be a gender line. But he said what acts out in reality is that when the women take charge of the priesthood, the men leave the church. Mm. Yeah. And he said what's happening to their church is it's becoming totally feminized because the men simply will not put up with a priest in high heels. They won't put up with it, and they leave the church. Now, they can't be forced to stay. But I think all of this is an outgrowth of what we're talking about, this uh, lack of mentoring. I like that. I, think that's right. I remember when I was on my vicarage, my vicarage supervisor used to say, we shouldn't sing Church of Our Fathers anymore. It should be Church of Our Mothers now because the church is 70% female, it seems. Right. And, but then it's by default. Yeah. You know, so what are you going to do? They were there by default. Well, and you have to watch the signals, too, um, that, that I think we portray a lot of times that Christianity is for women and children. And basically weak men. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And and we don't really we don't really we don't portray Jesus in masculine terms. It's it's almost like you have to neuter Jesus in order to sell him. Right. And 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 that's unfortunate too. I, there's a there's there's good and and there's good and solid theological reasons why when the word became flesh and dwelled among us, he did so as a male. Correct. Well, th- this well, you'd have to be male to be circumcised for certain. Well, the <laughs> <laughs> this segues nicely. Also, to be in, a second Adam, I think it does <laughs> require certain coherence, yes, doesn't so. it? Yeah, third time's a uh, charm here. This segues nicely into one of your other things that you're really pushing these days is evangelism. Yes. Uh, how would you evangelize men in particular? Mm. Do, you, do you have a model for that? Yeah, absolutely, I do. We have to change our terms. We have to change our approach to the entire worldview that we call the Bible. We can't take it like we've been doing it. You know, they say in Alcoholics Anonymous, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Now, in our churches, we're doing the same thing over and over again, and we're getting the same result, and we can't figure out why. So we go and hang our pastor, because we think, well, it must be his fault. And so we take him out back and hang him. When the fact is, we have done this to ourselves. Our language has been worn out by the evangelicals. Absolutely worn out. Can you give us an example? The word sin. Okay, sin. Okay, we can't even say sin and think state of being. Our inferential systems in our brain are set up to think of sin. Ooh, I did something wrong. Bad behavior. Bad behavior. And so you can't speak of a metaphysic that has to do with a sinful state of being without thinking of a particular sin which, at least in the Missouri Senate, always winds up being something sexual. <laughs> you know, well, I, think I, think that's, I think that's just most of American Christianity. Absolutely. Right I mean, nobody yeah. thinks, you, if I said to you, you sinner, you, you're going to hell for that, nobody would think you stole something. Right. Or you coveted. Or you coveted. <laughs> your neighbor's ox or ass. Right. Well, yeah. maybe ass. But Porsche. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, I tend to focus a lot on gossip because nobody talks about that. We, we've got industries dedicated to this. Oh, yeah. It's a multi-billion dollar industry around the world is just gossip. Yeah, the National Tattler yeah. and all that. And every church has their own individual National Tattler in, in, <laughs> in situ. So, you know, you have to put up with that. But we have so our language has been worn out. When you say Jesus, people, they, they recoil because of the whole thing of, you know, I had a vicar one time. And he said, Pastor, and this was a moment in, in his life, and I'm sure he's gotten past it. But he said, Pastor, I've heard all my life. Jesus died. Jesus died. Jesus died. Can we move on? Wow. And you know, there's a, there's a real, uh, there's, there's some substance to that question. You know, when we get on television, we got on radio, Jesus died for your sins, that you might as well say something in some foreign tongue. So, so but where do you go with that then? If, 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 if sin has lost its meaning because of, because of a, basically abuse of meaning. Right. And if, if Jesus... Abuse of meaning, nice. Yeah. And, and if Jesus has become evacuated of what that name actually stands for and means, then, then what do you do? Well, I look at the word. Now, what is the word? Hamartia. What does that mean exactly? What does hamartia mean in the Greek language? Well, that's, the, that's the, the missing the target one. Missing the target. It means off base. It means something's wrong. Something's not meshing. Like the gears, the teeth and the gears are off. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I trace that back to Genesis, and I come up with the idea that sin is entropy. Sin is decay. Sin is the loss of heat, if you will, in the entire universe. That when Adam and Eve ate whatever that was, whatever fruit that was, it introduced something genetically that not only, not only instigated entropy in their own bodies, but because they were the pinnacle of creation, it washed out through, and 
i.e. particle theory, and to the entire universe. Now, now is and, and I'm familiar with entropy from the old thermodynamics days. Right, so I, right. I, res, I resonate to that image. Everything tends toward disorder and decay, if not somehow stop. Um, unless you interfere from the outside, right. which gets you to some interesting themes, too. But, exactly. But, but uh, you, now, is that, is that sin itself, or is that the result of, that is, the, that act of disobedience? Through one man, all fell. Right. What does that mean? You know, through one man came entropy, came decay, came the cycle of ruin. See, all these words are used. Which is okay. I, I tend to see it more as result of. So, so this act of rebellion, this act of being God in place of God, or the attempt to overthrow God, has introduced this chaos, what you call you know, entropy. Attempt to overthrow God. We'll have to talk about that in another episode. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but nonetheless, you know, it seemed, what you're saying, though, is you're, you're inviting the, the hearer to look around, to right. do the diagnosis. Correct. Right? Is that, is that, that what and, you're saying? Yes, because uh, the, the greatest natural theologian that ever lived was Gautama Buddha. And what did he say? He said, everything results in old age, sickness, and death. Mm -hmm. So he said, all suffering comes from resisting that basic truth. You know, Gautama Buddha was 500 years before Christ, and so he had no revelation whatsoever. He had no contact with the Jews. He had no contact with Palestine. So he had no way to have anything outside of his own observation. And that's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to approach people with, look at your life. What are you experiencing? Old age, sickness, and death. And I know those themes are not popular in California. No, people you know, don't I, want I to can't talk find a that. mortuary in California. <laughs> no. I, you know, they're, they're like tucked behind a parking garage. No, we celebrate a life there now. Oh, we you celebrate know, that, a life. Yes, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Con- I've contended for a long time that one of the biggest problems in our culture is that people aren't close to death anymore. We, we don't have people around us dying all the time. A uh, hundred years ago is natural. If you came from a family of five kids, one of them probably died in childbirth yeah. or at a young age. We don't we don't have that so much anymore. It mm. kind of comes as a rude surprise when it happens. Yeah, you know, some five year old gets cancer, and that's not supposed to happen. No, and it's supposed everyone, to happen to seventy five year old people, right? And even then, it's oh, she lived a full life. Yeah, you know, we come up with all these euphemisms. You know, a long and full life. You know, please, you know, I don't care how old you are. You're not convinced you have a long and full life. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> As that, that person you were talking about that uh, went overboard discovered. Exactly. Yeah, my aunt. She, <laughs> it's, she, it's not full enough. <laughs> no, no. It's not. My granddad lived to be 96. He, uh, he, we asked him one time, Papa, why have you lived so long? And he said, cigarettes and whiskey. No, well, and, so, uh, and, and he lived that way. That's pre-Atkins, so. I understand. <laughs> Pre-Atkins. Well, there's not a lot of carbs in whiskey and cigarettes. No. <laughs> and he was quite thin, actually, now that I think about it. But, uh, yeah, this whole thing of uh, old age, sickness, and death, these are what people experience. You know, the Clinique counter is a really, really bad attempt to stop old age. Mm-hmm. And these hospitals, the hospital, are you kidding? You're both pastors. You know what I'm talking about. The hospitals are the new cathedrals. Mm-hmm. And the doctors are the new priests. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. And, and there's a holy of holies where, where mortals the operating cannot, room. cannot yes. go. Yes. yes. The, the unclean, the unwashed cannot enter no, here. No, <laughs> because you will contaminate it. The holy things. You yeah. know, the Ark of the Covenant is in there. So we deal with, we try to stave off sickness with that. By the way, you know who writes really eloquently in that is Richard Seltzer. Have you ever ever no. read any? Uh, he's a, he he taught surgery at Yale, top flight surgeon. But he told the truth. 
about surgery and and being a surgeon to, to the point where his pro- his profession uh, just about ran him oh, yeah. off for for being that truthful. But he talked about the inner sanctum and, and the blood and, and gore. I'll oh, tell yeah. you something. Yeah. And the you fear, know, the fear in a surgeon. You know, my dad was a doctor, uh-huh. and and I got to witness some surgeries, uh, especially some orthopedic surgeries and stuff like that. I was really amazed that uh, doing a um, uh, ACL repair, uh, they were using Gore-Tex and all sorts of cool stuff. And they had the scopes, and they had all this high-tech stuff, and you'd see it all on the monitor. But it going came down on. to a hammer, didn't it? And y- Exactly. <laughs> you had to score the knee to, to screw in the bolt to hold everything oh, in, yeah. and they broke out what looked like a big ice pick and a hammer. Mm-hmm. And they got, the doctor just starts wailing on the knee, bang, 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 and they're all counting. One, two, and they're like, ha, 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 it's a party. And the guy's awake. Well, you know, he's just doped up, and he's got the local and everything, and and uh, I, I was really impressed until the ice pick and the hammer came out. Then I was, I, then I was convinced we're still in the Stone Age. It oh, comes yeah. down oh, to yeah. that. <laughs> it comes down to the hammer because we have old age sickness. And then we, we try to stave off old age with Clinique and with uh, injections of this, uh, or what's that chemical? Botox. Botox. Yeah. And then we try to stave off sickness with medicines. And, and you know, I love these guys that are about 80 years old, and they've, they've had preventative health care, and they, they look like melting candles, and they've been taking all of these vitamins, and they think they look like they're 32 out there running around. Right. I mean, I've seen these guys in my own neighborhood. Yep. They have to be 100 years old running around. I, I, I put a shirt on it, man. <laughs> you know, it's disgusting. <laughs> You know, I don't want to see what was you flapping in the breeze. You know, this I, I think the reason we live so long is we're just pickled in chemicals oh, at, at some pickled. point. <laughs> but then eventually we come to the great equalizer, and that is death. I thought it was the locker room. Well, maybe for you. <laughs> uh, I got ahead of the game on that one. But the, um, the, the great equalizer, you know, is death. And Buddha taught that. And I put to you, brethren, that without death, there would be no need for religion. Well, that's true. I want to. I want to make sure that before time runs short on this, this segment that that Wade talks about the Jesus part because you said, just like sin, it's it's hard to get people to wrap their minds properly around sin. So, what do you do with the Jesus part? What what, what how well, does how, does, of, how is Christ of, presented in this in this way of speaking? A supernatural hero who's intervening on behalf of an entropic humankind. By introducing into the system an anti-entropy. So when he walked in his ministry, what did he do? He did anti-entropic acts. Yeah, he subdues chaos. Yes. Yes, right. You heal somebody. That's anti-entropy. You create food where there was none. That's anti-entropy. So Jesus produced acts of anti-entropic behavior, saying essentially, I can do this, and in fact, I'm going to show you how much I can do it, because I'm going to anti-entropy me. And I'm going to come out of that grave myself, and you're going to see me and touch me, and you're going to know I can do this, and I'm going to do it for you too, because I am here to rescue you. Through one man all fell, through one man also be made alive. And so we, I have a heroic, supernatural, heroic God on my side, Jesus. This is kind of almost the, the cosmic Christ that Paul um, portrays in Ephesians and Colossians, mm-hmm. where it's, it's not just about 
it's not just about rescuing this sinner or that sinner. No, it's but the it's, cosmos. It's, it's literally cosmic, yes. mm-hmm. and 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 he has embodied the cosmos, and he has taken it into death and raised it up again. Exactly. And now he is the exalted head. You yes. know, he has recapitulated, as it as it were, the entire cosmos. Well put. Yes. Yeah. And that's and Ephesians. In, that's not me. And in him, <laughs> we have all that. But Jesus is portrayed as a really good teacher. Well, I'll tell you what. You know, I mean, I've read the words of Jesus many, many, many times, and I would say, yeah, the adequate teacher. That's not what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about what did he do with himself. Thank God for his teaching. I, I pray, don't get me wrong. I'm not putting down the, oh, I'm going to get crucified. What I'm concerned about is that burial, that, that, that birth, number one, birth, coming into this created order mm. on purpose. Mm-hmm. Baptism, death, resurrection, and ascension, and coming back to get his people who are still entropic on the outside but anti-entropic on the inside. Wade, in just about 15 seconds, what do you do? Hang out at the clinic counter with a track? No, no, I don't. I, I ask people very plainly, how's your life going? Yeah. Conversation's very powerful as far as it's getting people question. to open up there. We are done. Wade, thanks for being with us. Well, welcome, welcome to the district. Thank it's going to be a riot. Thank always provocative. Be. Always provocative, man. Yeah. Tune in next time on The God Whispers. We'll be talking about I don't know, fun stuff.